Hi, this is Walford Kaufman, the pastor of Southside Baptist Church of Gaffney, South Carolina. Welcome to our Bible study. This is the one we usually do on Wednesday nights at our church. We're meeting in our Family Life Center at this time because of social distancing. Uh, but uh, we meet at 6.30 in the Family Life Center, so please come and be a part of that when you can. But thank you for joining us now. I don't know when you might be watching this, listening to this, but we've been working through the book of Romans. So go ahead and get your Bibles open and look at the 10th chapter of Romans. 10th chapter of Romans. We're going to be looking at the whole chapter. Hopefully we can get it all done in not too long a period here. But our title for this particular study is called Inexcusable Unbelief. Inexcusable Unbelief. Let's have a prayer as we begin. Heavenly Father, guide us through this study. Let us learn because so much of this is just how we as believers today, how we as a church today are acting. Lord, we're to have belief, we're to have faith, we're to have trust, but Lord, we're to put it into action. So teach us, lead us, that we're not to stay the same. We're to always be growing in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we kind of work through this kind of verse by verse. Uh, I will group some things together. But if uh, you missed out on last week's study, we looked at the, that book of uh, uh, Romans, of course, about chapter 9, and it talked about the divine side of salvation. We talked about the, the idea that God is there to save us. He, he has provided us so many different ways for us to be saved. Uh, but uh, we need to realize this, that divine sovereignty should always be balanced by human responsibility. In other words, God has done His part. He loves us. He sent His Son for us. He gives us the Holy Spirit to convict us. But what happens? We're to take responsibility. Grace calls for us to respond. And let us be responding in love and giving our heart. The first thing that we see is Paul's desire from the heart, from his heart. It's in verse 1. It says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. That is what he wants. Sometimes it, I have to admit, Paul comes across a way you wonder, does he really do? But he's pouring himself in. I mean, he gets pretty tough on this. And so, but that's his heart's desire. His heart's desire and prayer is that Israelites, that's his people. That is the people he's grown up with. That's the people he's accustomed to. I mean, that is the people that is in his heart. Just like you caring for a loved one, a friend, a school friend that you've known so many years and you want to see them get saved. This is what Paul's saying. But then we realize a testimony gets personal. I've always told people when they're witnessing, when they're sharing Christ with others, their particular testimony, your particular testimony, nobody can refute it. Nobody can uh, argue with you about it because that's yours. That is your personal testimony. And so you can, you can share what God has put on your heart. And this is what He's doing. Look at verse 2. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. They are zealous for God. Um, man, so what we see here is they have zeal. I mean, that sounds something very exciting. Uh, but have you ever heard somebody say something like this? 
It does not matter what you believe as long as you believe sincerely. Huh? You know, that means as long as you put your heart into it and you put all your energy into it, it does not matter what you believe. Isn't that the, pardon me for saying it, isn't that the stupidest thing you've ever heard? I mean, think about it. I know some sports fans, uh, they support a certain college. One day they're going to win the championship. One day they're going to win, I mean, everything. Uh, they, can, they can believe it all they want, but that doesn't mean it's going to come about. I mean, think about it. Man, I want $3 million, $6 million, $12 million, just put a billion dollars. I believe it, but if we don't get out and do something about it. See, what happened is, I can testify, they are zealous for God, but it's all for the wrong reason. Look at the rest of that verse. For their zeal is not based on knowledge. Not based on knowledge. Uh, what's happened is, they've established their own righteousness. They've established their own righteousness. Verse 3, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, and that's where they have the zeal, it's for their own righteousness. They did not submit to God's righteousness. So that's what's happened. They did not submit to God's ways. They developed their own ways to, quote, get saved. We know they're not going to be saved unless they go through Jesus Christ. But Paul says they were ignorant of God's righteousness. They did not even realize they were sinners. And how many in today's churches are just like that? Well, I'm just as good as that person. I've heard that, I don't know how many times. I'm just as good as that person. Well, guess what? That person's going to be in hell, and you're going to be just as good as them in hell. I hope that didn't hurt your feelings, but that's the truth. You know, um, some people that don't even realize, uh, many years ago I worked in a car rental place and uh, between churches, and uh, it was an interesting adventure getting to know folks. I got a call one day. There was a person driving one of the rental cars. And uh, she said, I've had a little accident and I just wanted to let you know about it. I think the car may be drivable. And I said, ma'am, where did you have the accident? And she told me. I said, the condition of the car. Well, it doesn't look that bad. But I said, what about the airbags? Well, the airbags were deployed. I said, ma'am, that car is basically going to be totaled. What? It doesn't look that bad. I think I could. I said, ma'am, don't touch the car. We'll bring you another car to you and have a wrecker pick that one up. Here was a woman who totaled a car. And we found out later, she, her husband, through his company, was the one that had the car. But she had driven it instead and wrecked it and didn't want to admit the problem or didn't realize the problem but she had totaled that car. Huh? How many people are living a life? Total destruction. But I'm not that bad. This is what's going on with the Israelites. They are thinking uh, through their own righteousness, they're not that bad. And see, they rejected God's righteousness. That's what you see there in that verse 3. They did not submit, and that's a word I know many of us don't want to use nowadays, but to submit to God's righteousness. But that's what they needed to do, was to submit to God's righteousness. That's where it all begins. And so now we see 
that they, there's a new sheriff in town. There's a new sheriff in town. Look at verse 4. In verse 4, it says there, Christ is the culmination of the law, so there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. That's the new sheriff, folks. It's Jesus has come in. See, Christ is the end of the law. Christ is the end of the law. Now, let's go ahead and admit it. When you look at the Old Testament there, the law was good, the law had a purpose, but Christ was the goal. The law in that Old Testament all pointed to the Messiah, to pointed to Jesus. And so when Jesus came along, that was a culmination. That was the crowning event of the law. Jesus had come. And so what we see here, uh, as one writer said it like this, the law was the guardian that led people to Christ. The law was good, had a purpose, but it was all to lead people to Christ. See, Christ is the fulfillment of all Old Testament offerings. Um, I know some people have done some studies. Interesting. All the different offerings. The, 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 I, mean, I can't even get into all this stuff. I know we've heard about the animals and all, but you know there was the wheat offering and this offering and that offering and all this. But all that pointed to Jesus. See, Christ kept the Mosaic law. He was the only one, the perfect one who kept the Mosaic law. Verse 5, Moses writing, uh, writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. And so that Mosaic law, that law, the Ten Commandments, let's say this, the Ten Commandments that was uh, laid out for folks and all that Old Testament uh, laws and everything else, the only one who's ever been able to keep that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And so all this come about. So now we see the righteousness of faith. The righteousness of faith. And so what was the Old Testament expression? What was the Old Testament expression? Let's look at verses 6 through 8. But the righteousness is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning the faith we proclaim. And so uh, let's go ahead and look at this. Grace comes through a simple inclining of the heart toward the Lord. That's where grace, even in the Old Testament, even with all that laws, grace was offered there, that heart. So, but verses 6 and 7 says it's already been done. It's already been done, as it talks about in that, in that scripture there. Uh, but uh, say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That's Jesus. Uh, or who will descend into the deep? That's Jesus. He died on the cross. So it's already been done. And so we need to realize something, folks. As we look at our spiritual walk, it is not the, it's not for us to work for that I can earn my way to heaven. You can't do that. But because of what heaven, what, what God sending His Son and what that meant and what the Son did on the cross and what the Son did in conquering the grave, it's already been done for us. So we don't have to work for it. We need to work from it. This has already happened. Here's a fact. This is what's happened. Now we need to work from that. And so what was the New Testament expression? 
pardon my nose, it seemed like anytime I want to start teaching like this, my nose uh, and all, but uh, please excuse me for that. I uh, apologize. And so, uh, what's the New Testament expression? Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9 there. But it says in there, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And so we see the New Testament expression and so what it says therefore is is christ is the lord if you declare to mouth jesus is lord if jesus is lord and so how important that is in the days of when the the scripture was written this letter to by paul to rome the romans and is that word lord meant had four meanings it meant sir, you know, very proper introduction to a person, sir. Title of the Roman emperors, that was used then. It was used a lot for the title of the Greek gods. And also, it was divine names. So how important that, that terminology, Christ is, he is superior than all others. He is superior to all others. But then you see here in that scripture, that Jesus is Lord, so he is superior. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Christ is risen from the dead. This is essential, essential for Christian belief that Jesus did live. Yes, you know, there's some people that doubt that. But then some of them say, well, you know, he was a ghost that walked around. Jesus was purely man and purely God. He was in the flesh. But he was a perfect man. And so all that Jesus did live, but what is also important is, is that Jesus is living now. He's li living now. Especially, I want to ask you something. How I pray to Jesus to intercede for you, to talk to the Father if he's not alive. He needs to be alive. He, <laughs> but he is alive. That's the truth. Not only we are to know about Christ, we are to know him personally. Well, you know, I've heard of and mentioned a, a sports star or an uh, actor, actress, and all this. You know of them, but do you really know them? And if you ask them, hey, do you know so-and-so? Mm, no, I've never heard of them. How many people think they know Jesus, but Jesus doesn't even know them? Hmm? For I know not, for I know not this person. What's going to happen, folks? And so, yes, uh, we see here that Christ that is in the heart must be conv uh, confessed with the lips. Christ that is in the heart must be confessed with the lips. Yes, confessing for men. And so how important that is. See, verse 10 says, For it is with your heart that you believe, it is for heart to believe and justified, and it is with your mouth you profess. And so what we see here is confessing before men. God should know from your heart, but people should know from your lips. From your lips. Uh, but see, all this was foreign concept. I mean, this wasn't in the Jewish mind, their thought pattern at all. Confessing before men, I mean, and, and, and God too. Think about it. This is inconceivable. 
uh, finding your way to God, not through the law, not through the law, uh, to hear that access to God was open to everyone. Not, you know, now let me make, make sure you know this. Not everyone will be saved. Now everyone can hear the message. Everyone will hear the message in one way or another about God's love who sent His Son to die on the cross. There is grace offered to everyone. Not everyone will be saved. I hope we understand that. Uh, but Paul polishes uh, all this up with uh, two scriptures there. The kind of, <clears throat> here's, the, here's the fact, uh, you Jewish people. Verse 11, you look at that. Verse 11, as scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Whoa, where'd that come from? Well, that came from Isaiah 28, verse 16. That scripture came from the Jewish teachings. So Jews that could not believe this idea about Jesus professing Him, Lord and Savior in your heart and telling others that anybody who does this, the, even in Isaiah, it said, anyone who believes in Him will never be put to shame. Then he turns around to verse 13. Uh, well, let, me, let me hit verse 12. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Do you think he's shaking up the Jewish people? The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Oh my goodness, they're probably shaking in their boots or sandals. And so think about this. They're richly blessed, those who call on him. And so he comes back, verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not that you have to go through the Mosaic law, not that you have to go through all these Old Testament rituals, but it says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that came from Joel 2 verse 32. I mean, this is their own scripture that they not heard before. Uh, yes, they had, but they had not heard in their heart. So how can they argue this point? Well, now to take down, uh, take down some excuses. You remember this is kind of a debate for, for Paul to imaginary uh, questionnaires uh, and all this, but to teach the Jewish people. Uh, that's why he uses this excuse. And the first excuse is the cannots. The cannots. Look at verses 14 and 15. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So in those two verses, there's the cannots. You know, and how can they, uh, you know, call on someone they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? I mean, just, I mean, cannot, 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 cannot. Kind of sound like a business meeting in churches today. We can't do that. We've never done that before. We've never done that before. We've got a God can do new things. But see, for them, uh, the excuses cannot, but the takedown on them, Look at, uh, and this is Isaiah 52, verse 7. But it's actually there in that verse 15, the last part. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That came from Isaiah. 
So here was Isaiah back, that's right, the Old Testament, Jewish teachings. All this is going on. It's a takedown. Beautiful feet have been coming for years, sharing the good news. Excuse number two, but not all. Look at verse 16. But not, but not all the Israelites accepted the good news. Oh my goodness. Not all have, they, they were Israelites. There was news shared with them, but not all of them got saved. You know, not all of them got saved. Well, here's a takedown. They were true to form. Look there, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? In other words, they did not believe in the Old Testament. They're not going to believe in the New Testament, that time frame there. So we have all that going on. They were true to form. That's how they've always been. Excuse number three. Uh, could they hear? Could they actually hear? It's kind of like a question of husband and wife being in the same room. The wife might be talking, but is the husband actually hearing? He might hear sound. <laughs> I better get move on. I'm going to get in trouble. But you know what I'm saying. You've been in a crowd, people talking all along, but that doesn't mean they hear. But look at that. Um, and so... Uh, Verse, I'm going to read verse 17, just be on the safe side there. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I asked, did they not hear? Did they not hear? Well, here comes to take down on that particular question or, you know, uh, excuse. It's actually in verse um, 18 there, that second part. But this is coming from Psalm 19, verse 4. Their voice has gone out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. Uh, so did they hear? Of course they did. That's what it says in verse 18. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into the earth. Their words to the end of the world. So everybody hears. Do they comprehend, maybe? Do they take it into their heart? No, but they've had an opportunity. Excuse number four. Excuse number four. Uh, what if they did not understand? I mean, you see where there's the cannots, uh, but not all. Uh, could they really hear? And then this fourth excuse. But what if they did not understand? There in verse 19. But I asked again, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. So excuse number four, what if they did not understand? But here is the kicker. Israel may not have understood. But the takedown is an insult to the Israelites. You didn't read that, did you? Yeah, it's right here. It's in the scripture. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. In other words, the Jewish people did not understand, mostly by their own choosing. But there's a nation that did not have a background, did not understand before, but they heard the message of Jesus Christ. I mean, for those Jewish people, that was like a rock right between the eyes. I mean, this was a true takedown. And so... You see there, uh, two scriptures. Verse 19 that I just read, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. That comes from Deuteronomy 32, verse 21. And then verse 20, uh, verse 20, 
comes from Isaiah 65 verse 1. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. Oh, I, I was found by those who did not seek me. Uh, the, excuse me, the Gentile people. The Gentile people. And I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. The Gentiles. Right between the eyes. So to wrap this up, verse 21. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I've held up my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. God has always been stretching out His hands to the people of Israel. But Israel has been the one disobedient. But Israel has been the one disobedient. Bang! Is that not America today? We've got Christian radio, we've got Christian TV, we've got Christian uh, movies, I mean, we've got all kind of books, we've got churches on every corner and all this, and what we have, about 25% of the people going to church. And let's admit, how many people in the, that say they're going to church are faithful? And though those that are faithful, are they obedient to what Christ would have in their lives? So have we not heard Yes, and we understand. Do you know there's revivals? I mean, great movements of God going on in other countries. Check it out. Don't, just don't take what I say. Check it out. How many uh, countries are having great revivals? Some countries where they're even persecuted for believing in Jesus Christ. But there's a movement of God. We've had every opportunity to listen and to understand and to obey and what have we done? Let us not be like the people of Israel. Let us be faithful. Let us be serving. And that thing, profess with your mouth. That's right. Jesus might be here, but there's people out there in this world that need to hear you say, I love Jesus. Let's pray. Father, let us not be like these people of Israel that were blessed beyond measure they had all of you, Lord, just sh showering down love and protection and guidance, and they were disobedient. Let us, uh, no, may not understand it all, but let us start in our faithful walk with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Lord bless you, and we'll see you for another study very soon.